As we come now to the scripture, uh, let's pray together. Uh, Father in heaven, thank you for sanctifying a day, setting apart a day as holy unto you. A day that we remember that we are able to rest because of what Christ has done. The risen one. So we pray now, as we renew our lives in Him, through Him, by Him, we pray that You would help us now hear this word, that it would be grace to us. That it would work in us in such a way as to draw us closer to You. It would cause us to be kept in Your name, to walk with You that our faith would be strengthened, that our lives would more show the very work of Christ and His Spirit within us. This we pray now in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn, please, to John in chapter 17. John chapter 17, please. I want to read verses 20 through 26. John chapter 17. We've been in this uh, passage of Scripture for a while. Uh, not too much longer, maybe just another Sunday or three, but uh, we'll see. But John, please, in chapter 17. <clears throat> Hear the word of God, verse 20. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. I in them, and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me, and love them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory, that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I have made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. Now remember, this is Jesus' prayer. is praying. Uh, it's uh, very close to his crucifixion, this intimate moment, father and son, son to father, expressing his heart. Jesus prays for us, he intercedes for us. And we know these requests are significant. Jesus doesn't take requests before he prays. He doesn't ask us uh, what it is that we want him to pray, but he knows what it is that we need. He knows how to pray for us. He knows how to intercede for us. If you've been with us in the last couple of months as we've been working through especially these particular requests. Give yourself, in the next 10 seconds, a quiz. What is it that Jesus is praying? This is significant. You should be praying these very things, and you should be praying them with confidence, knowing that Jesus is interceding for us about these things, and know that these are important things for your life. 10 seconds. What is it so far? Give you a hint. Three key things that Jesus... Actually, for the Jesus has been praying. 
least look at me like you're getting it. That's good. All right. Jesus prays that we be kept in the Father's name. That means, since Jesus has revealed the Father to us by way of His name, He's revealed His name to us, then being kept in His Father's name means that Jesus is praying, Jesus desires for us, what God desires for us is that we continue through the course of our lives to know God and not stray from that knowledge, not be confused, not have anything else dilute what we know to be true about God, that we would know Him, that we would be kept in His name. Secondly, of course, Jesus prays that we would have His joy, that the joy that He knows would be in us. Uh, He prays that we would be kept from evil, kept from the evil one, and He prays that we be sanctified in truth, that is, sanctified in His Word, for His Word is truth. So He's praying all of that for us. And now we come to this prayer, and He's praying... Uh, that they be one. Uh, notice how it is put here in verse uh, 2021. I don't ask uh, for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may be one, uh, just as you, Father, are in me and I am in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. Most particularly, he's praying that they, whoever they are, he's praying that they be one. So we see this. So first he's praying that they be one. We get that from verse 21. Then from verse 23, we realize that his desire is that this oneness reach maturity or perfection. Notice how he puts it. In I in them and you in me that they may become perfectly one. And so he's praying that they be one. There's a oneness here, a unity. And this unity grows towards maturity towards perfection. Then in verses 21 and 22, we see the standard of this oneness, that they may be, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us. So you get this sense that there's a unity between Father and Son that's to be modeled by or seen in this oneness in they, in this group of people who are to be one. So we see that. We also see it in verse 23. He says, I in them and you in me that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. So we get this sense of, of, of oneness, this standard. And then we see the source of this oneness is, is that, that we're one with Jesus. We see that in verse 21, uh, we see that in verse 22. Verse 21, again, uh, Jesus said that they also may be in us. They also may be in us. And so this oneness is, is, is a unity, not only with each other, but it stems from this unity, this union that we have with the Father and Son. And notice, too, from verse 22, that it comes from this glory that Jesus bestows upon us. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. And so Jesus is praying for a oneness in they, this group of people who are to be joined together, who are to be uh, unified, if you will. And we see that, that it's related in some significant sense to the union, to the oneness between Father and Son. 
and it springs from this union that we have with the Father and the Son. Right? And it, it comes from this very sense that Jesus has given us this glory. And the glory that, that Jesus brings to us is the glory of himself and the glory of the Father. And remember, that's an expression of saying that Jesus has manifested or shown to us who God is. And so in knowing who God is, that's to, to bring this oneness among us. And you also see the purpose of this oneness. He writes in verse 21, that they may all be one just as you, Father, are in me and I am in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. And then verse 23, he says, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. And so this oneness is to be testimony to, witness of, if we could even say proof of the fact that the Father has sent the Son and that we are the very ones whom God loves. Now, I know that was a mouthful. But there's a mission involved. What Jesus is aiming at is that people would know that he's been sent by the Father. That's the purpose for all of this. And what is going to show that is this unity, this oneness of this group of people to whom he refers as they. And this unity that they know is like the unity of the Father and Son. And it comes from the fact that we too, that the they, are joined together with the Father and Son. Alright? Now, if nothing else, that should just give us chills. I know you have them anyway because it's cold in here. But that should give us chills. This sense of great mission. This sense of oneness among people that's to show, to be like the oneness of Father and Son because there's a union, a unity of people with the Father and Son. That comes from the glory that Jesus has bestowed in revealing God to us. Very significant. Now, notice this whole point of Jesus. This oneness is very important. He spends a great deal of time talking about it. If you, if you look at the proportion of this prayer, you realize that a great deal of his prayer from verses 20 to 26 in some way, shape, or form is, is spent surrounding this, this oneness and Jesus ties all this together with this, with this identity that people would know that he's sent by the Father. That's significant to Jesus. Remember from a couple of weeks ago, I mentioned that if you work your way through the book of John, you'll find that Jesus makes reference to himself as having been sent by the Father more than 40 times. That's crucial to Jesus. And the reason that it's crucial to him is that everything about him depends upon who he is. It depends upon his identity. Does he have the authority to say what he said? Does he have the authority to say that what he did accomplished what he says that it accomplished? Does he have the authority to do what he says he was going to do? Does he have the authority to do what he did? 
Does he have the authority to speak on behalf of God and say, I'm not speaking my own words, but the very words of God. I'm not speaking my own words, but I'm only speaking what I hear the Father say. I'm not doing my own deeds. I'm only doing what I see the Father do. Does he have the authority to say that kind of thing? Does he have the authority to say that I've come not to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many? Does he have the authority to say that his life counts for ours, that his life takes the place of the penalty of the sins of sinners? Does he have the authority to do and say all of that? The question that Jesus asked his disciples was telling who do men say that I am? That's the crucial question from the lips of Jesus. It's about his identity. And so he came to say that he is the very Son of God. He makes statements about himself, his own identity, that can only link himself with God. He said, I am. That should be significant in and of itself. It should be sufficient. When God gives his name to Moses, you remember in the Old Testament, and Moses says, who is it uh, who has sent me? Who? What should I tell the people about this one who has sent me? God simply says, tell them I am has sent you. And Jesus speaks of himself in those same emphatic words, I am. And he says things like, I am the bread of life. That is to say, you can't live without me. He says, I am the light of the world. You can't see without me. He says, I'm the good shepherd. If you want to be nourished, if you want to be protected, if you want to be cared for, uh, you must come to me. And when he refers to himself as this one who is the shepherd, everyone knows what he's claiming there as well. And only in claiming that he's bread, the very manna that feeds, that comes from God, um, the very light which God makes so that all can see. He is the shepherd, the good shepherd. Thus, we shall not want. He says that he's the door. There's no way to enter. There's no way to come into the very presence of God apart from him. I am the gate. I am the door. He says that he is the resurrection and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. There is no life apart from him. He says that he is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the way to God and the only way to God. There is no other way other than by way of him. If you follow me, Jesus says, I will lead you to God because I am the way. I'm the truth. If you depend upon me, I'm the reliable one. If you depend upon me, if you trust in me, you'll be reconciled to God. And I am life. I am the life. There is no other life apart from me. Thus, if you come to me, I will give you life, life eternal. The life that you now live, you'll live by faith in me. And you'll live real life. And even though you die, yet shall you live. He said, I'm the true vine. You can't live unless you're attached to me. There'll be no fruit in your life unless you're connected to me. Live there, abide in me. It's all about, you see, the identity of Jesus. He knew that. And so what we're testifying to as his people is that he was sent from God. He was sent from the Father. He comes from heaven. They ask Jesus, where are you from? 
Aren't you Joseph's son? Weren't you in Nazareth, in Bethlehem? Where are you from? It was so intriguing to them because they knew that he wasn't like anyone else. And the point is, he was from heaven. He came. As we read in our call to worship, that even though he was in the form of God, he did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he made himself nothing, emptying himself the form of a servant, all of that in this way of incarnation. As as John opens up his gospel to us, he tells us that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. Jesus, the very Son of God, the very Son of Man, God among us, God in the flesh. And so it was necessary, you see, if all that he did was to be true, that he was indeed the very Son of God. And so that's crucial for Jesus. They must know, they must believe that the Father has sent me. And they must also know that those who believe in me are are ones the Father loves, ones who are reconciled to him, ones that are in relationship to him. And so so all of that is significant, and it, it all revolves around this being one, at least as Jesus prays. Now, the question is, who is one? Who is the they here in verse 21? That they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us. Who's the they? Well, you get this sense that the they is all believers. Jesus starts out in verse 20 praying this, I don't ask for these only, but also for those who believe in me through their word, that they all may be one. And so you get this sense that Jesus isn't just praying about the ones who are there, but he's praying about all believers, all who will come to faith through the testimony of these who were with Jesus at that moment in time. So you get a sense of oneness. It isn't just necessarily a oneness in one particular church, or it isn't just a a oneness in one particular generation. You get this sense that it spans generations. In fact, you get this sense that it's based on One generation informing all of the others, those who were there at that time. Notice, just play the pronoun game with me just a moment. And I think this is true in all versions. I'm reading out of the English Standard Versions. But notice, Jesus, verse 20. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one. So the they seems to be a combination of these and those. Do you get that? All right, so you add these and those, and you get they. Now, the those are us, right? All believers who have come to faith by the word of the these, right? So the these are pretty significant to the those, right? We're those because of the word of these. So we must be united with these by way of that word. It's that word that unites us together. It's that truth. It's that common faith. It's that common belief that we have. 
that, that's, that ties us together. It's this apostolic faith. It's why when in the second century uh, and, and then the revisions in the third and fourth and fifth and sixth centuries, the minor ones of this that we call the Apostles' Creed, so aptly named. Because there's this sense that what, what binds us together is a common faith in Jesus. That's our oneness there. It's this common belief, common faith in Him. And if there's a deviation from, from that, if there's a deviation from the word of the apostles, then there isn't a oneness, can't be a oneness. It's got to be founded upon that common faith, common understanding of who God is, of who Jesus is, what He did. So we do believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord. We do believe that He was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. We believe that He descended into hell in the sense that He experienced on the cross punishment, eternal punishment for the sins of sinners. He descended into hell. But we believe that on the third day he rose again from the dead, victorious, that he ascended into heaven, and that he sits on the right hand of God the Father Almighty, the judged, the quick and the dead. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the very one who came from the Father and the Son to draw us to the Son, to give us new life. We believe in the Holy Spirit. We believe in the Holy Catholic Church, Catholic in the sense of meaning universal, Catholic in the sense of meaning uh, uh, including all those from the these to the those born again by the Spirit. Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, the life everlasting. We believe that. You see, there's. No deviation from that, from them to us. And if there is, there is no oneness can't be. Because our oneness is founded on what God has done for us. In our Lord Jesus Christ, thus throughout the scriptures, even from the lips of Jesus through the New Testament writers as they're counseling and writing to the church, the word of God, there was a, a warning about false teachers. Don't be led astray. Jesus said, beware of false prophets. Beware of false teachers. He condemned those who in any way, shape, or form besmirched the very grace of God, the very grace of the gospel. And thus we read the apostle continuing to uh, maintain the truth. We Read of Paul as he writes to the church in Galatia. As upset as we could imagine him being, as we've ever seen him, as we ever see him, it seems, in the gospel. And what concerns him, what upsets him primarily, is that they're preaching in those cities in Galatia a different gospel, he says. And thus, if they would believe that different gospel, then they would be accursed, stand accursed before God. That's how important it is. They'd be separated from the life of God. They'd be separated from the community of believers because there was a lack of oneness based on this truth. As Jude writes, he writes that we're to contend for the faith that was once, and we could translate once and for all, uh, delivered by the saints those early apostles. And so you see, this oneness is based upon this common belief, but it's also based on a common life together. 
Because you see, we're joined together with Christ. Now, as I begin to speak about our union with Christ, our union with Father and Son, please understand that I'm way out of my element, as we all are. I mean, to think about this union, and, and, and it's this spiritual union, mystical spiritual union, that we have in some way, shape, or form with the Father and the Son, that we're joined together with them. It's a difficult thing to grasp because we can't see it. We don't necessarily feel it. It'd be nice to have a rope. Wouldn't it? Nice to have a rope that we can hold on to. We see where the other end is, you know, lassoed around Father and Son. We see we're joined together in some way. But we do know it. We do know that we're joined with Father and Son by way of the work of Christ through His Spirit. Because of the change that's taken place in our lives, we we know because of the truth of the Scripture that tells us of what Christ has done for us and tells us that we are, in fact, united with all that He has done and we're identified with Him as believers in Christ. Our identity has changed. Our allegiances have changed. And now our loyalty is to Christ and we pray to Christ alone. We see a model, a hint of this union in the relationship between a husband and wife. Man should leave his father, be united to his wife. The two should become one flesh. We see quite interestingly this two to one. Obviously, husbands and wives do not become the same person. They're still distinct. Uh, They still are male and female. They still have different personalities. But there's some sense in which they're joined together. They're joined husband and wife. Yesterday we married off Stephen Sweat and Emma Markley in a wonderful, wonderful ceremony. It was very sweet. Proved once again that more grooms cry than brides. It's just, I've done well over a hundred weddings over the years and that's just true. I, I think it's because the bride has been thinking about this since she's been three and it's only now dawning on the groom uh, what's actually taking place here. So in Stephen's case, I think he was simply overwhelmed uh, by the beauty of his new bride. But there's a union that takes place, a new identity. And, and when we come together for a marriage ceremony, the whole ceremony gives hints and even more than that, of this new identity. In fact, one of the things that we do, if we can, in a marriage ceremony, just to show this, is, is that we begin uh, the ceremony on, on the floor, if you will, of the church, wherever the sanctuary is, wherever the setting is, if we possibly can. And then after the giving of the bride, and to come to take vows and so forth, we, we move the, the couple up to be alone to take their vows. And that's a sense of separation. There's a new identity legally and socially and even most especially in the very presence of God. That now they identify one with another. It's no longer me but we. It's, it's no longer do I, I think of myself only but I know I belong to another in a real significant way. And all of my gifts and even all of the differences that I have that are things that are different than yours are to come to complement you 
in some way, shape, or form, come to help you. To, they're at your disposal to be used with and by you and for you, so to, to improve you and to make you the very person that God would have you to be. There's a union here, a new identity. And we know that when we come to faith in Christ, there's a new identity, this union, that His life, having been given for us, that His life now is in us by way of the Holy Spirit, and it is no longer me apart from God, but, but rather I've been crucified with Christ. But nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but, but Christ who lives in me. You see that sense. And my identity is changed. I belong to Him. My allegiance, my loyalty is to Him. Joined with Him. And of course, because He is the very Son of God, then we share this one who is his father. And now, he is my father, and he is our father. Thus, we share life together. As we are joined together with Christ, we're joined together with each other. All who are in the body of Christ, all who belong to him, then belong to one another. Why? Because we share our father. He has come to bring peace. Ephesians uh, chapter 2 Paul writes to us this long passage, beginning in verse 11. Hang in there with me. Therefore, Paul writes, Remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcised by what is called the circumcision, which is made by, in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at one time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers, to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For He Himself is our peace, who has made us both one, and has broken down in His flesh the dividing wall of hostility by by abolishing the law of commandments and ordinances, that He might create in Himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but your fellow citizens were the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows in a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by his Spirit. We're being built together into the very dwelling place of God by his Spirit. We're built on the foundation of the truth of the apostles. Right? These, the very ones to whom we're attached throughout all generations that truth about God. And it comes by way we know of the cross. Because the cross of Jesus forgives, brings forgiveness of sins to us, reconciles believers to God. But it also reconciles us to each other. Because God is our Father. And because the very work of Christ breaks our pride. How can we be separate from another? On what basis? Oh, yes, we're different. We're male and female, yes. 
Yes, we're different by way, perhaps, of culture, by way of language, by way of ethnicity, by way of national origin, by way of personality, by way of gifts, by way of likes and dislikes, and all kinds of little and big quirks. We're different by all that. But how can we stay aloof? How can we stay apart? How can we hold ourselves up one against or over another when, in fact, we recognize the fact that Christ has died for us? I've said this a lot, it's because I arrange my life around it in terms of my relationships with other people. And the very truth of this is that I declare to you that the best I can do on my own, the best I can merit is God's wrath. That's the best I can do. So how is it that I can hold myself above anyone else. If I have anything good in me, if anything results in good from me, it is only by the grace of God, not by my own merit. And thus, how can I hold myself up above another? That the Bible calls meekness. And you see, we have been joined together by the work of Christ. And thus, in the passage I read at our time of confession from Ephesians chapter 4, Paul writes this. He says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, with all humility, gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. He's saying, listen, the Spirit has joined us together. Because of the work of Christ. Now here's what Jesus is praying. Jesus is praying that we maintain this oneness. That we maintain this unity. Certainly that we maintain it across the generations. That we hang dear to the truth and stray not from it. But in the midst of our own generation. In the midst of our own people. In the midst of our own church. We're to maintain this unity by way of the Spirit. And how do we do that? But there's no unity without holiness. There's no experiential unity without real holiness. It isn't a surprise that Jesus prayed that we be kept in the Father's name. That is, that we not stray from this truth about God. That we know Him. It should be no surprise to us that He prayed for our joy. That we would enjoy what we know to be true about God. It shouldn't surprise us that he prayed that we be sanctified in that truth that is made holy by it and in it and through it. Why? Because he wants the world to know that he was sent by the Father. That requires oneness on behalf of his people. The oneness requires that we stick to the truth, thus be kept there, And that we walk in holiness. Why is holiness important for our oneness? Because A, we're not perfect yet. B, we're different from each other. C, we're still in the process of being made holy, which means we're going to aggravate each other. Which means there's still pride in us. Which means we're still going to be frustrated by each other. Which means we're still going to want glory over and above the other. And so we need to have holiness, walk in holiness. So all of that is purified. So he says, here's the holiness that you need to walk in 
If you're going to be one, you need to be humble. Do not think yourself better than the other. Be humble. To be gentle. We know each other's points of vulnerability. We know how to manipulate. Don't be harsh. In every wedding I do, probably, as I speak about relationship between husband and wife and their union together, I quote Isaiah's line concerning Jesus. A bruised reed he will not break. A burning flax he will not snuff out. Think about that. Isaiah was speaking of Jesus. And he was speaking of the gentleness of the very Son of God. And he was saying, this is, this is how he's going to come. He's not going to come with huge shouts. He's, he's going to come in gentleness and humility. So much so that he won't even break a bruised reed. Now, you know this, we're Kansans. Since some of you are, I'm not, but I'm kind of an adopted Kansan, at least today. And, you know, out in the field, there's a big reed that has a bruise. It's, bruise. it's about ready to break. It's the most vulnerable point. And what, what, this is, what Isaiah says about Jesus is, he's going to come and touch us right at that point of bruising, right at that point of vulnerability, right at that place where we're just about to break, and we won't break. But rather, we'll be made strong. A burning flax. Blow out a candle. There's this little piece at the very end that's, that's just about to go out. Another, like, second, it's gone. This says of Jesus, he's so gentle that he'll be able to blow on that and not extinguish the flame, but rather cause it to burst forth into flame. In our relationships with each other, we're to be humble, we're to be gentle. Knowing each other's points of vulnerability, we're not to exploit that. But we're in some way to come and bless that, take that, touch that. Not to destroy, but to make strong. He says we're to be patient with each other, not just aggravated and annoyed with each other. Many of you know that the first three months of a small group Bible study, first beginning to meet, is a great joy. How many of you know that the second year is a real challenge? Why? Because you know each other so well. You know what each other's going to say. You know what each other's going to do. You can almost predict what's going to happen before it starts. Now, well, he's going to say that. She's going to say this. She's going to want to pray about this. Blah, 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 blah. And it just gets annoying. And we get annoyed with each other because of our, our lack of growth. We're just not, not growing fast enough to satisfy. Or we're not moving along in a particular ministry as we ought to. Be patient. Forbear with each other. I love that expression of bearing with each other. You get a sense that you're taking on the burden of the other and you're wearing it and you're holding it in stewardship with them. Bearing with each other. That's how you maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. Now why? We'll come back to this next week. Why is this so important to Jesus? This oneness. Why is it that this oneness is the testimony, the apologetic, the proof that, that, that the Father has sent him, that he has the very authority to bring reconciliation. Why is this oneness so important? Well, it's because that's the point. The point is oneness. The point is reconciliation. The point is, the point is oneness, reconciliation with the Father. That's why he's come. 
And the evidence, the, the proof of that, the visible proof of that, the observable proof of that, that people are reconciled against with God, is that they are reconciled to each other. And that they care for and they love each other. That they hold fast to this truth. That they care for and love each other. Jesus began this night saying, a new commandment I give to you. That you love each other. And then he defines that more closely. He says, just as I have loved you, loved one another. That's the newness of the commandment. Love was not particularly new. Loving your neighbor as yourself was the rule of the day in ancient Israel. But Jesus said, now I've given you the model of that. Love each other as I have loved you. And then he went on to say this. He went on to say, by this, all people will know that you're my disciples. If you love each other. Why? It's the very characteristic of Jesus. For loving as he has loved us. To accept as he's accepted us. To forgive as he's forgiven us. To be humble as he's been humble. To be gentle as he's been gentle. To be patient as he's been patient. To bear with as he's born with us. We can't export the gospel until it works among us. Right? We can't export the gospel. We can't take it out until the community within exemplifies this oneness. We can't export the gospel if we don't have the same truth that the apostles had and taught us. We've got to be connected to them by way of truth, else we have no gospel to, ex- to export. And we have no gospel to export. If we ourselves haven't been reconciled to God, and we ourselves haven't been reconciled to God, unless we're able to show that we're reconciled to each other, and that we're living together in humility, and in gentleness, and in patience, and in forbearance, in love. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I pray for me and for us, God, that you would enable us, as Jesus prayed, enable us to be one, even as you, Father and Son, are one together in love distinct yet serving. Father, I pray that our community of believers here at Grace would be such in the way that we speak to and about each other in the way that we share with each other in the way that we love each other, that people would be able to see that yes, because all of this is based on the truth of Christ, that yes, He must be sent from God for who else could bring this kind of life. I pray, God, that be true. I pray, Father, that You would 
melt our hearts for one another. To love each other. Father, we thank even today of those who are suffering among us. And I, I pray for them. I don't have all the names. I don't have all the details. And some of the details I have and some of the names I have, I, I can't necessarily really share. Father, we all know hurting ones we may ourselves be hurting. I pray as a company of people that we would be used by you, God, to bring assistance and help to them. Father, just hearing this morning of Laura Fox's brother having broken his back during a horseback riding incident, Father, that you would help that family bring healing. Help us as a church to help as you give us opportunity. Father, those who are called in ministry in very special ways, we pray for them that you would bless their work. But Father, we all know that we're all called to be witnesses of Christ in every place where we find ourselves. But no more important place really than here in the lives of each other. So help us, I pray. Jesus, may your glory be shown in us that we may reveal as you have called us to who you are to testify of the truth of Christ himself the people would see it through us this we pray in Jesus name